A thousand times I've imagined this moment. Never like this. All we ever wanted. The boy didn't even haggle. And what do I lose but problems? Oh, it all makes sense now, brother. Is there anything so undoing as a daughter? A thousand times I've imagined this moment. Never like this. All we ever wanted. The boy didn't even haggle. And what do I lose but problems? Oh, it all makes sense now, brother. so undoing as a daughter. Welcome to League of Lore, a podcast about the lore of League of Legends and other properties set in the Runeterran universe. I'm your host Jacob, or Skull Soldiers, and today we have a special guest. Would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, hi, my name's Sage, uh, or Lore Vignere on Tumblr. Uh, we just looked that up and I already forgot how to pronounce it, but hi, I'm here. Yes, and we have both watched the new show, Arcane, and we have a lot of things to say about it. Uh, Originally, we were going to cover each act, but we have decided to just cover the show as a whole, since it has all come out now. Um, So, yeah, so we're going to first start with Act 1, and then we'll work our way through, cover some themes and storytelling notes, it's all as well as all the different characters. Like, you'll get the gist. There's a lot to cover. So, first a quick summary of Act 1. Act 1, well, it follows the story of Jinx and Vi, along with Milo and Clagger, a small group of teenage-ish aged uh, hoodlums, you could say, who uh, decide to rob a scientist's little research area and in the process they steal some hex crystals which are essentially crystallized forms of raw magic and they eventually escape but one of the hex crystals is uh, a little more unstable than the others and bumps about and it explodes destroying the majority of the poor scientist's little studio and then they escape back into not zon as we would call it in the lore now but the Undercity, or or more specifically, the Lanes. And when they arrive back into the Lanes, they get hounded by a local gang, they fight them off, but in the process, all the loot, except for the Hex Crystals, 
gets lost as Jinx throws them into the toxic water to escape. But remember, she still has those lovely hex crystals. From there, we get a lot of things going on with uh, a character named Vander, who is essentially the father figure to any straight-up adoptive father of Vi and, at this point, Powder, not Jinx, uh, who uh, basically tries to protect them from the repercussions of their actions, despite him not wanting them to do that. Uh, we also meet a very young Echo, who is a friend of this little hoodlum gang, and through a lot of talking and interaction, basically we learn that everything is going wrong. Piltover, or Piltover's council wants retribution for what occurred in Piltover proper, and Vander is trying to keep the peace between the residents of the Undercity and the Enforcers, the brutalistic police of Piltover. I just wanted to jump in really quick and say that Echo is baby, and if any of you try to hurt him, I'll kill you. <laughs> I echo the sentiment. <laughs> to make a long story short, after... A lot of different events. We also meet a character named Silco, who is basically very well coded as going to be the big villain of this act and eventually the show as a whole. And he has been creating a chemical that we don't know the name of quite yet, but through the usage of this chemical, he's basically trying to empower uh, Undercity dwellers to fight back against Piltover. He basically wants a violent revolution against Piltover for the mistreatment of the lower class in the Undercity. So he's very counter to Vander's goal of keeping the peace at all costs. Eventually, after many, many talks back and forth between Vi and Vander, lots of close calls between Vi's gang and the Enforcers, and the discovery of the Hex Crystals by Vi in the Hands of Powder, we get to a point where basically Vander makes a case to Vi that to keep the people she cares about safe, you have to make hard choices. That's just the end of it. And war, as Vi basically wants, she wants to fight back against the Enforcers, it's just going to end in more people being hurt and killed. And that could include people like Milo, Clagger, and especially Powder. And so, Vi decides to turn herself over to the Enforcers. Vander is having none of this, because Vander loves Vi as a daughter, and so he decides to instead take her place and hide Vi away. It almost goes down, much to the chagrin of the current sheriff of the Enforcers, who seems to be the only good Enforcer, uh, who also just wants to keep the peace, until uh, Silco makes his move and kills the current sheriff, kills Vander's best friend, and then, and also who seems to be a mentor figure towards Echo, by the way, and just murders a bunch of people using a amped up, drugged up uh, member of that gang that harassed uh, Vi's gang earlier in the sh- in the act. And then, so and then Vander just gets strep, captured by Silco. Is around this time we learn that Silco and Vander seem to be either 
directly biological brothers, or they at least were so close they were essentially brothers. It's a bit unclear. But in that time together, something happened between them without the falling out, and Vander straight up tried to kill Silco. But Silco is a, a bad A and decides to fight back, stabbing Silco uh, Vander in the arm, which we've seen him touch a lot throughout the act. L- like, nice little foreshadowing there. And she points out that Vander's kind of gotten weak, and a lot of other members of the Undercity have started to see Vander as weak because he refuses to fight back against the Enforcers. And so they have shifted over to Silco's side including a character named Savika, who will become important later. And as all this is going down, and Vander is likely being tortured, Vi's like, we gotta save Vander, this is kind of my fault, she blames herself, even though it's not really her fault, but, you know, kids blame themselves for the problems that occur to their parents. And so she's like, okay, me, Milo, Clagger, we're gonna go in there, we're gonna save our dad. Powder... It's like, yeah, let's go save Dad. Let's go save Vander. And Vi says she cannot come. And this devastates Powder. She wants to try to help. She has all these gadgets she thinks will help, but they haven't really worked in the past. And we've seen this because a gadget didn't save her earlier during the whole little gang debacle. A gadget which was basically a shrapnel bomb that would have obliterated another child. It was badass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, things get serious in Z- in the Undercity. Children are no exception to death, apparently. And eventually, after some mild convincing advice, but she actually does a pretty good job of telling Powder the reason why she has to stay behind, because she can't lose Powder. She's all she has left of her original family. That's it. It's just Powder. Their mom is dead. Their dad's likely dead. Uh, potentially another sibling, as we might, there's some evidence of. All we know is that Vi and Powder, they're on their own, in terms of their original family. And so, Vi leaves with Clagger and Milo, who have more skills that Vi thinks would help. Well, they learn about where Vander is being kept uh, locked away, thanks to Echo, who is, among other things, a very good eavesdropper and spy, it turns out. And he tells them where they are. So they go to a warehouse where Vander is being kept, and they find a conveniently open window and sneak inside, where there conveniently are no guards. Vander is quick to point out, how did you get in past all the guards? Vi says there was an open window, and immediately Silco walks in all supervillain style, with all with just so much presence and such an amazing voice. And just like, thanks for falling into my trap, I'm now going to take you all out and get it all done in one fell swoop. And make it seem like Vander the Coward ran away with his kids and never returned. Hint, hint, he's going to kill them all. Well, as all this is going down, poor Powder is having a straight-up panic attack. Because she cannot stand the effect of being left alone, of being abandoned. Uh, Despite Vi giving her a little smoke flare so that they would have a way to get in touch again if they got separated for whatever reason. And she's just so distraught. She just wants to help. Then she figures out, hey, these cool little hex crystals, hmm, they explode. So she decides to make a literal magic bomb and goes off to help her family. Powder did nothing wrong and I stand by this. Meanwhile, 
as all this insanity is going on in the Undercity, let's take a quick detour back up to Piltover, where we learn that the scientist who got robbed was none other than Jace. Jace Talus, in fact. And he was basically trying to learn how to unlock magic and control it through technology, hence what he calls Hextech. Well, turns out Piltover hates magic, for some very reasonable reasons, as in there was a giant magic war that nearly destroyed the world, um, as our another character named Heimerdinger reveals. And he basically t- tells Jace he should not mention magic at all, and just say, hey, I messed up, please don't kick me out of the academy, please don't banish me, and he should get a theoretical slap on the wrist and be let go. Well, he shows up to the Council of Piltover to get his judgment over what his actions were, and as it seems like there's a possibility for him to get away pretty much scot-free for doing what he did, he decides to open his mouth and say, I was working on magic because he cannot stand being badmouthed by a bunch of these hoity-toity nobles. Well, immediately thing goes goes south from there. Heimerdinger's telling him, uh, don't do this, you're going to get, it's going to be real bad, and he just cannot stop blabbing, essentially. And from this point, all the counselors, uh, except for maybe one, uh, who we'll talk about in a bit, uh, basically say, like, we're going to banish you, F magic, get out of here. Luckily, Jace's mom is there, and after basically throwing him under the bus does allow him to instead just get a light punishment of house arrest and never being able to do science again. So, you know, just a light punishment, that one. So, after all that, he, after some pretty emotional turmoil on his part, realizing that he will never be able to do what he always enjoyed, he, he very much contemplates, um, I'm a bit of content warning here, Suicide. He contemplates killing himself. Luckily, though, there's another character, a lovely character named Victor, who grabs some of Jace's uh, research notes and is intrigued. And so decides, hey, I'm going to talk to this man and figure out what his deal is. So he uh, literally walks in on Jace about to throw himself off a building and in a very fun way, says a great line of Emma interrupting, and stops Jace from killing himself. And then they start talking about the Hextech work, and Victor points out, you are close to cracking this. I see it. Let's do this. Jace is like, but what about Heimerdinger? And Victor's like, what no one tells him won't hurt him, and they go off to go do it. In the process... But then they run into another character who we met a little earlier who's shown to be the richest person in all of Piltover, but the poorest of her family, the Madarda family, Mel. Best girl. She is so cool. She's a queen. And Mel, basically she catches Victor and Jace trying to break into Heimerdinger's lab to do, to do mad science. And instead of stopping them, she's like, cool, I like your, I like the cut of your jib. I'm going to prevent people from catching you. Uh, specifically what Jason and Victor are doing, I actually remember this part. Uh, they are breaking in to steal back his research that is going to be destroyed the next morning. That's correct. And to also apparently try not to get caught by Mel, Victor makes a very fun line of saying, this is in my bedroom, which is, has many implications. 
But after this, uh, Mel basically shoos away the, the nearby guard and allows Victor and Jace to gra- grab that research, grab that tech, and start doing mad science. Which cuts us back to Vi and Powder and Vander and all the troubles that are about to occur. In a wonderful sequence, we cut back and forth between Jace and Victor cracking the code of magic and Vi beating the ever-loving heck out of a bunch of out of a bunch of goons that uh Silco tries to send to, well, take them out. Uh, normally she would not be able to do this because there's a lot of them, but they're on a lovely, convenient catwalk. And in the process, she's able to take them out one by one at a time, and it is wonderful. Also, during this fight, she's using gauntlets that were that belonged to Vander that he used to use in the old days before he became a pacifist. So it's just really beautiful that she's saving her dad using his own weapon. And yeah, I just love it a lot. And also we see her skill, like the skills that she was probably taught by Vander. And also we see her use earlier against a punching machine, which shows that she is very skilled because she has all the high scores. And in this moment, we see how good of a fighter she is. But in a brilliant move from the animators and the show writers, we see her get exhausted. Every hit hits hard. And every time she gets hit, it hurts. And we see her slowly wearing down, but she refuses to go down. She fights with every last breath. Only for Zilko to pull his trump card and give a drug to the same gangster from earlier. And then he goes and immediately takes Vi out. Uh, in a very, just like, boo, kind of way. But it makes sense. Vi's awesome, but these drugged up guys are insane. And she, he tuck, chucks her back into where Clagger and Milo are trying to free Vander, with Clagger trying to break a hole in the wall and Milo trying to lockpick uh, Vander free, uh, which does lead to a great moment where Vander basically uh, helps Milo calm down his lockpicking, and it's a very touching moment. And then we cut back to Powder, who is climbing up, trying to help. She sees Vi doing well until the whole drugged up gangster guy comes in. And then she panics and is like, okay, little guy talking to his little monkey toy that she has that she earlier broke apart in her panic attack, but now it's put back together to make this magic bomb to please work. Because like we said earlier, none of her gadgets have worked previously. So she's like, please, please, please work. So she cranks it up and sends it out to do his thing. We cut back to Jason Victor. Uh, Laws are coming back and forth. And when we see Jason Victor, they are really getting it down. But now uh, there's a brief moment where the hex crystal nearly explodes. And it they show the power of it, but they're able to recontain it. Victor says, uh, incredible, and it's really cool. But now Heimerdinger re- realizes what's going on because enforcers outside saw the explosion. Like, that's not going to be hidden. And so now it's a race against Heimerdinger knocking down the door with some enforcers and arresting them for doing magic BS, essentially. And there's really great sequence of Jace remembering back to why he's obsessed with these magic crystals in the first place, which is when he and his mother were out in seemingly the Freljord, some very icy, blizzardy place, they nearly died. But a mage saved them. And after the mage saved them, he gave one of these shards of a crystal to Jace. And ever since, he's been obsessed with magic because magic can save people. And so as he's trying to figure out how to crank this hex crystal in the right way to make it work, 
he thinks back to the motions that the mage or do is doing to do this master teleportation spell and he just thinks back to that moment and he's cranking this way and that and he's perfect little motions mimicking the giant motions the mage was doing and right as the door is knocked in he cracks it there's a cool flash of light but there's no real big explosion it's just a flash of light and then we see jason victor floating in the air surrounded by magical runes and they're just having a gay old time up there and Heimerdinger is kind of in awe. He thought this was impossible to control magic technology. He was like, that's not going to happen. But he sees it before his eyes. And I was saying a fun comment of, um, and stop floating, uh, which Victor and Jay say, I, we're not sure how. Uh, it's a brilliant moment of discovery that these hex crystals can lead to amazing discoveries and scientific achievement and progress. The literal motto of the city the city of progress. That's what Piltover is. And as we see this beautiful moment of hex crystals being used for a great discovery, we cut back to Powder's Bomb. And in a tragic event, we see Clagor finally breaking down the wall, Milo unlocking the last cuff, Vi having closed his giant metal gate, preventing the drug guy from getting in. They are about to escape. The drug guy cannot get through the metal door fast enough. They're about to get out. And then we see this little clapping monkey thing marching forward with all these, with this hex crystal in between its clapping hands. And we see it powering up. We're like, oh no, oh no. And then it stops. Only for the last crank of its little key to turn. It hits the hex crystal one last time right as the wall is coming down, right as they're about to make their escape, and the bomb goes off. Now, think about this. A single hex crystal earlier in the show blew up the majority of, like, an apartment building, essentially. Powder put four in this little monkey, and you can think of the devastation that that causes. Powder did nothing wrong. In a actually beautiful but truly horrific display, we see the devastation of this explosion. We get cuts back and forth between different characters and their perspectives on the explosion. We see Powder get launched backwards from her hiding spot near the building. We see uh, Silco nearly get immediately eviscerated by explosion, only to be saved by Savika, but Savika loses her arm in the process. And then we see one of the Hex Crystals blow through and maybe even teleport a bit and glitch out into the room where Vi, Clagor, Milo, and Vander are, and it goes off, instantly kills Clagor, and then impales Milo into the wall next to a dead Clagor, and then the ceiling collapses, killing both instantly. Vander and Vi barely escape with their lives, but now they're buried under rubble and are injured, and even the big drugged-out guy, he, he turns out to be fine, even his right next to explosion because he's a freaking drugged-out super monster, and he turns out to be fine, really showing the travesty of this. They were home free, but due to Powder's actions, not on purpose, it was a complete accident, she jinxed the operation and killed members of her own family. And then we see, in a great moment, Vander seeing Vi trapped and unable to move it's like, no, heck no, I am not letting them kill my daughter. I am not allowing this to happen. He 
pushes his way out of the rubble, grabs two, like, pieces of metal as brass knuckles, and sends a goon coming in to try to kill Vi, sends him flying back out, gets another guy, knocks another guy, the big monster guy comes running in, Vander hooks one of his arms, starts beating him in the stomach, he looks like he's about to actually kill this giant super monster, only for the super monster to then headbutt him, kind of make him dizzy, and then throw him to Silco, who stabs him in the back. Rice is probably about to get the monster guy too, as well. But Silco stabs Vander in the back. And Vander immediately turns on Silco and begins choking him out, about to, cr- to snap this man's neck. But, as Silco has proven before, he will never go down without a fight, just like Vander. And he stabs him one more time. And that last stab does it. And Vander collapses. And Silco says to Vander as he's dying... He says, I knew you had it in you still, and sends Vander fl- flying down into a bunch of chemicals and fire. Because, remember, this entire thing is happening on a bridge. Mm-hmm. And a little walkway above a massive collection of chemicals that I believe we now know is called Shimmer at this point. Except for, obviously, the whole Milo and Clagger thing dying that was in the jail cell but i digress yes the point is um as it looks like vander is dead and vi is going to be murdered by this giant uh mutant guy now um vander grabs one of the surviving vials of shimmer and downs it and in a very heart-wrenching display. He comes in blazing as a tour de force, grabs monster gangster guy, and just snaps his neck like it's a twig. Just immediately. And he's like freaking out. He's He sees Vi. He's like turns away because he's all monstrous. He sees Silco. He, he yells out his name. He's going to murder Silco. But then he sees Vi is in danger still and there's about to be another explosion. So he grabs Vi launches himself out the side of the building and using his own body protects Vi from the fall and is finally truly killed by this last act of self-sacrifice to save his what his daughter and as Vi is mourning the loss of Clagger and Milo and her dad and after having seen a piece of the monkey bomb recognizing it as his sisters She's a such an emotional state, which leads to probably the most emotionally intense scene in the entire show, where Powder comes running around the corner saying, it worked, it worked, it worked. She's just a little girl who was so happy that her toy finally worked, and then she... Ah! Yep, she sees Vander dead, she sees Clagger's broken goggles... And she just loses it. She starts going to a full-blown panic attack. She starts saying, I just wanted to help. I just wanted to help. I just wanted to help. And part of the reason that panic attack was brought on was because Vi was angry and directing it at Powder. Like, in sort of indirectly blaming her for everything. Like, obviously she was just upset. But yeah, it really seemed to Powder that her sister was very, very mad at her. Which leads to, um, 
one of the most emotionally hard scenes to watch, which is Vi grabbing Powder, calling her a jinx, as Milo did earlier in another scene, calling her a jinx, and that all she does is ruin things, and she also punches her, and it's very hard to watch as 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 Powder is just crying and sobbing and not wanting Vi to leave her, and Vi is just... She's distraught and, tra- and traumatized. She sees the blood on her fist, especially the blood of her own sister on her fist. And she just runs away around the corner to give herself some room to breathe and try to calm down. And in that moment, Silco shows back up and sees Powder and has a knife in his hand. And it seems like he is going to kill her because... He might not know for sure that she's responsible for the explosion, but he can guess. Plus, I think he does recognize that she's one of Vander's kids, so... Yeah, either way, it's like one last act against Vander. And Vi sees this. Vi sees uh, Silco standing over her sister and immediately moves to, to get to her, only to be chloroformed by an enforcer named Marcus, who's been a pain in the butt this entire act. Marcus is a fucking asshole, and I hope he dies a miserable death. And, but Marcus, in a sense, saves Vi's life, because it's pretty clear that Vi would not survive running out there with Silco, especially because several of Silco's goons are still around, and Vi is so hurt at this point. That does not mean what Marcus did was cool. It was completely awful. Which leads to, uh, well... Silco, like, standing over Powder, and then Powder tackle-hugs Silco, and uh, just goes, like, I believe Silco says something along, like, where's your sister, and she and she says she's not my sister. Uh, specifically, she says, like, she left me, she's not my sister anymore. <laughs> and in that moment, Silco sees a kindred spirit, he, she, he sees someone who's betrayed by their family. And so, he embraces her, truly and totally embraces her, and says in a fantastic line, we'll make them pay, we'll make them all pay. And then we see reflected in powders, currently like grayish-blue eyes, some a little bit of pink. And then we cut away in a beautiful shot, and that is the end of Act 1. And so, my lovely little guest host has been making lovely commentary. What did you think of Act 1 of Arcane? It was the worst thing I've ever experienced in my entire life, and I'd recommend it to all my friends and family. As we stated, it is a very emotional first act. It, The last episode in particular is just gut-wrenching. It ripped my heart out of my chest. And... How to juxtapose with such a beautiful scene between Victor and Jace, like, figuring out Hextech, it feeds into what's going to be a pretty constant theme throughout the show, and you're going to see a lot of it, which is the theme of duality. Um, the One of the writers of the show literally states that's the main theme of the show, is a sense of duality between, like, Piltover and the Undercity, between various, various characters like Vi and Powder, Vander and Silco, and many, many others will meet later. It's just, there's so much going on, and just seeing all these uh, 
these people like being paired together essentially and then being juxtaposed to each other is brilliant. It it really reflects the nature of the city itself of Piltover and eventually Zon, or currently Piltover and the Undercity, and it perfectly reflects that. They are literally a city divided. Uh, it's literally a sense of one versus the other, two halves of what should be a whole, but they're not. And that's the true tragedy of this entire situation, is we have care- we have things that should not be separate, but they are due to various circumstances. But then we see some things that were originally separate come together, like Victor and Jace. They did not know each other. In fact, Victor kind of uh, didn't like Jace at first, but then as he sees his research, then as he talks to Jace, they come together in a sense of camaraderie at making a huge discovery that could save lives. And that's the so beauty of this whole point, is it's literally showing we have pil- pe- we have people in the Undercity fighting against each other, people in the uh, in Piltover looking down people in the Undercity, people in Piltover working against each other, so many things divided. But then we see moments where things divided come together, like with Jason Victor, like with Vi and Powder for the majority of Act 1, where despite several little, small little um, arguments or misunderstandings, Vi consistently explains things to Powder and they come back together. There's a, literally a moment where Powder um, mishears a conversation between Milo and Vi and thinks that Vi is talking down about Powder behind her back. And then immediately Vi comes back to Powder it's like, hey, are you okay? Um, don't listen to like things that Milo says. And she literally corrects what Powder misheard in the very next scene. We never get a situation of, oh, the mishearing causes a huge rift, because that's not how real relationships work. And that's kind of the whole thing, is every character in Arcane feels real. Also, they look like real people, which fucking astounded me. Like, props to do you know the name of the studio that made studio fortiche studio fortiche you guys rock i want to shake all of your hands personally thank you for feeding me (laughs) it is phenomenal the like i should talk about the animation for a bit the animation in the show is gorgeous it is some of the best animation i've ever seen um, I do know that they have basically a movie-level budget for this entire series. This series has been in the making for six years. Now, not all of this was the actual making of the show properly. Lots of it was pre-production, stuff like that. But all that time and effort and money and love put into the show is shown. The writing is top-notch. The characters are so fleshed out and well-voice-acted, and the animation is some of the best I have ever seen. And not even that, like, just the actual character design. Like, okay, you may or may not know what Vi looks like in the game. I'm gonna just say it, she looks like shit. (laughs) They made her a beautiful person in this show, and I am very attracted to her, and I want to thank them that's kind of the whole point is everyone is designed to not just be oh it's this video game character now in a show it is this is a character in this show who happens to be from a video game and that's a huge difference they are literally acknowledging these champions in league of legends they are characters they are people 
with stories and, and wants and needs and desires. And now we're learning about all their backgrounds in Arcane. This is literally all a prequel to who these people will eventually become. We're seeing Vi in her early years. We're seeing Powder before she's even Jinx. We're seeing people that will never be champions like Vander and Silco and Clagger and Milo. And guess what? They still feel like they could have been. Maybe not Milo and Clagger necessarily. They're, they're not out, quite as well fleshed out. But that makes sense. They're not as big. But Vander? Vander, you could be confused to think he's a champion. Silco? Definitely you could think he's a champion. Uh, apparently Silco is going to be in Teamfight Tactics, so they are bringing him into something. <laughs> there you go. Like, he, he has made himself into become a kind of champion. Uh, and then you get people like uh, Jace and Victor, who are also champions, as we know. We also meet Caitlyn a little bit. And we have someone like Mel, who is a really fascinating character, who seems to be a little manipulative, but right now she's just like, I want to see cool stuff in my city. I want to see more progress and more innovation. I'm rich and I'm bored. Do something. <laughs> Essentially. And she also feels like a champion because she's so fleshed out. And even characters who don't get a lot of screen time, like Vander's best friend, Benzo, who doesn't get a lot of screen time, but we still really enjoy him and we weep when he's killed. And especially because his relationship to Echo, who is also a champion we know of, and now we see baby Echo, and we see his relationship with this little gang, like his talks with Clagger and Vi. And seeing baby Echo cry over Benzo's death physically hurt me, and I just want to talk Vortage. And another character we only meet briefly, but we pretty much have confirmed, is Singed. We see Singed, but we don't hear his name said, we just see him, he's the creator of Shimmer. That's all we really see of him, but... Anyone who sees the character, who knows the game, is like, ah, that is singed. Also, if you can read subtitles, that's singed. <laughs> Thank you, Netflix, for that little spoiler. <laughs> um, but what the point I'm making is that any character in this show could have been a champion, and that speaks volumes to the care in writing and love put into this show. When I see characters like Silco and Vander, and I was like, why aren't they champions? That's a good thing. That is saying that they have that quality to them. Or Mel. It's so good to see characters who aren't name namesake champions get the same love and attention as actual champions. It's so important to help flesh out the world and make it feel more real. And like I said, Every character in the show feels real, especially in Act 1. Vi feels like a teenager who is tired of being beaten down by the rich people up top. She feels that in her soul, and you feel it with her, and you want to punch and enforce her in the face alongside her. But then we hear Vander's point of view and what he says, and you might hesitate. You might be like, maybe Vander has a point. Is war worth it? Is the potential death of loved ones worth it? Vi decides no. And that speaks a lot to Vi's character. We see Powder have so much struggle with this, with issues of abandonment, of being not loved enough, of being of feeling useless. And we see her struggle with panic attacks later in the act. 
Uh, we don't see them early on, but because there's not really a time for a panic attack to occur. She's not that worried quite yet, but we see building and building throughout each episode until it, she breaks down. And in a big way, and it just really shows that Powder is someone who is emotionally unstable, not because she is a inherently bad person or an inherently unstable person, but because she has been through trauma, so much trauma in her early childhood. Heck, the first episode of Act 1, we see the dead bodies of their of their mom and potentially one of their siblings or maybe their dad, and we see enforcers executing people in horrendous ways. We see Vander possibly executing an enforcer, um, and as we see all this, it feeds into this whole thing of these these are broken children. These are children, not broken because, they're not broken in the way they, like, what you might think when you see broken, like, oh, they're broken and they're awful. No, these are people who have been traumatized. These are people who need help, but they can't get the help they need because they're in the Undercity. And the only help they have are each other. They only have Vander, they only have Milo and Clagro, they only have each other, Vi and Powder. And when one of them, even for a moment, turns against the other in a state of emotional duress, it changes everything. When you're that susceptible to emotional turmoil because of all that you've been through and have no real way to have healed, yeah, you're going to want to say F off to the sister that you thought abandoned you. It doesn't matter that Vi didn't. What matters that is that Powder thought she did. She thought her sister Vi left her in a moment where she needed her most. And Vi left. And because of that, the very next person she sees, she embraces because she just needs love. She just needs any form of reassurance that she is not alone. And Silco is willing to supply it. And maybe take advantage of it. It's it like that's kind of the nature of the situation. And speaking of Silco, um, what do you think about Silco as a character? I love him. He is one of the best villains I've seen in a long time, and he's an amazing father. Fight me. We'll see that later. But in Act 1, we really see him as a very complicated character already. We see him like do some pretty awful things, obviously, and we get that straight up. But we see where he's coming from. He just wants a free Undercity. He wants the nation of Zog. He's got the charisma. He's got the plan. He's got the motivation. He's just amazing. Love him. This requires drugging probably the entire population of the Undercity. Silco did nothing wrong. Don't at me. I'm joking. <laughs> the point that we're making is that Act 1 is a fantastic beginning to this story. And, you know, at this point, who would who would you have said was your favorite character in Act 1? In Act 1, I, I mean, Powder. Powder? Yeah. That That's a pretty good choice. I would probably say Vander. Vander really touched me. I think he's a phenomenal character. He's really complex. And I really, truly feel for him. Because we see Vander is this person who just wants to protect the Undercity. Everyone loves him. He is the guy. He is the bartender who everyone loves. Not because he serves their drinks, but because he's there for them every time. 
actually I'd like to rescind my answer while Powder is one of my favorite characters that feels like a cop-out. So I'm going to go with uh, Grayson, the sheriff of the Enforcers in Act 1. I love her. She's the only good cop ever, and you can fight me. Yeah, Grayson is a very fascinating character, and she feeds into the whole duality thing we were talking about a little bit earlier with Vander. She is the Piltovian Vander in a way. She is the one trying to keep the peace, just like Vander is, but she has a job to do, and as she mentions, the council needs their pound of flesh. So she's literally someone who doesn't want to do what she is doing, but she does it anyways because the other option is potentially the Undercity being destroyed with enforcers. And judging from what we saw in Act 1, the very first scene, we've seen what happens when the Undercity has to fight the Enforcers, and it never ends well. So, with all that said, and just so much going on with Act 1 and how much we love it, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about Act 2. traffic and weather. Welp, looks like almost everyone's still dead, so traffic is at a standstill. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor, because they're totally not bribing me with massive amounts of chems or anything. Seems as the stuffed shirts are back at the White Springs playing games with that total loser modus. But hey, if that's your thing, whatever! So if all you squares wanted to hear more, totally, sort of, but maybe not boring stories about rebuilding Appalachia and being all goody-two-shoes, definitely not raiders, check out this thing they call a podcast, The Modus Files, whatever that's supposed to be, on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever else you listen to those things. Double ugh, they're not paying me enough for this. Till later, this is Rose. Raiders rule! If you want to help spread the show or simply get more content, you can follow the official Twitter at League of Lore 2 for updates on the podcast and other Lord tidbits, as well as rate or follow the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. You can also follow my Twitch account, twitch.tv slash Soldiers where I stream myself playing League of Legends and other games and discuss the lore and gameplay of those properties. And I just want to say once again, thank you for all the listeners and people who download this show. You really helped me drive forward, even through tough times like the last month was. You really made this made me want to do this no matter what. And I just want to thank you once again for driving me forward and continuing this show no matter what happens. And with that, let's get back to the show. And now, it is time to talk about Act 2. Now, after we got off the emotional turmoil of Act 1, drying off our tears and um, processing um, the trauma that Netflix has inflicted upon me, we decide to move on to Act 2, where things are flash forward a bit. We are now on Progress Day in the far future it's a bit unclear the exact time frame it's been several several years uh, i think at some point they say it's been about 10 years i don't know for sure but i think 
we do get a time frame later on in this act. Okay. Well, there you go. So about 10-ish years or so. Things have moved on. Piltover is in just flooded with Hextech everywhere. We see we see so many gadgets and gizmos and other forms of technology. It, there has been a technological boom in Piltover. It is full. If it was a little bit steampunky before, it is now full-blown steampunk, magic punk, whatever you want to call it. We got, we got transforming butterflies. We got so many crazy things. And the coolest thing is we have what are called the hex gates. I just want to jump in and say that I think the proper term would be steampunk magitech, but, you know, copyright me. Thank you. Y'all can have that for free, Riot. Now, what the hex gates are, are these giant, um, imagine if someone took a globe and put a gigantic magic slingshot on it, and they are essentially able to, uh, take these airships and shoot them across the globe like literally all the cray across to the opposite side from terra if they want to and it has changed everything before now piltover was a trade city that relied on its little canal where trade ships would come through and they would tax them for traveling through their canal and basically had a lot of control and a lot of money through that well now not only do they have the shipping routes, they have air control. They're able to, almost instantaneously it seems, or close to it, get goods from all across the world and send goods all across the world. Also, now that Magitech has, Hextech has been proven useful, Heimerdinger's suddenly on board. Like, come on, capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> It's more so that Heimerdinger has been proven that magic can indeed be controlled, less so that he cares about the money. It's actually kind of shown that Heimerdinger doesn't really care about the money, he just cares about the scientific progress. The other members of the council, however, are much more interested in the money that's being made from these super advanced magical hex gates. Which leads to busy Heimerdinger being like, hey Jace, I want you to do the speech for the Progress Day Festival. Jace is like, uh, okay, I'm so pretty new at all this. I, I'm still getting used to the fact I can see my face on blimps. I don't really like that. And I'm being called the, the man of tomorrow and a bunch of other terms that I'm not fully comfortable with. And Heimerdinger is like, yeah, 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 but cool. You're, you're, you'll do it, please, please. And also, uh, do you have any new gizmos that we could show? Because, you know, it's a kind of a thing. And this is when it's revealed that there is a new form of hex crystal called a hex gemstone, which is essentially a processed hex crystal that is now stable. That's right, no more monkey clapping it to, ex to explode and killing a bunch of children. Now, instead, it will just make a few sparks and look pretty. And due to this, they're now able to make more commercially viable forms of Hextech, such as the Atlas Gauntlets, otherwise known as Vi's Gauntlets in the future. It's what she deserves. Which are supposed to help miners in the fissures down in the Undercity. Which I just want to say, like, I'm sorry to interrupt you. That is such a amazing concept for the origin of Vi's weapons they were used as mining gloves and she made them this badass iconic symbol of 
power and defense. That's just so fucking cool. And alongside we seeing Vi's future gauntlets and the Atlas gauntlets, we also see a little hint at Victor's future third arm, laser arm, where which he uses to carve a lovely little uh, sculpture of Heimerdinger as they're showing off his equipment to him, uh, and then also accidentally uh, burns uh, a, l- a little Poro's horn a tiny bit. Just, just a little burn, he's, he's fine. Uh, this is Heimerdinger's pet Poro, by the way, which is adorable, and I'm sorry I ever said anything bad about you, sir. And as Heimerdinger is seeing all this wonderful advancement that the gemstone would allow, and also the lives that it could help, like with the laser arm, it could help artificers make more fine-tuned little uh, designs, as well as allow for better carving in general, or with the Atlas Gauntlets, like helping the miners lift heavier objects without straining themselves as much, we're seeing what Jason and Victor have wanted from the beginning, which is to help people, especially people in the Undercity for Victor. And then Heimerdinger says, after like 10 more years of research and safeguards, then you can introduce it to the public. And he also says in a very unfortunate way that 10 years will go by you in a flash, says the Yordle who lives for 300 years. Or in longer. He's like 311 right now. And he's like, yeah, it'll go by in a flash. Well, of course, Victor and Jace are distraught by this news. Uh, hello, we don't live for forever. We need to get this stuff out now to help people in need. And Victor is really about to, like, kind of go off on Heimerdinger on this, but Jace calms him down and he's like, hey, but this is important. Heimerdinger's like, it's uh, safety is more important. So. We are going, I don't want you to make any mention of Jemison at the festival, like show something else or just make some blase speech. And I know this is touched on later on in the act, but I do just want to like cut in here and say, I completely understand where Heimerdinger is coming from. Like, this is very powerful stuff. You want to make sure it's safe so no one can abuse it. But he is very much out of touch with humanity and like, normal quote-unquote people at this point and it's kind of blinding him to reality right and so after this frustrating encounter we then get possibly the coolest sequence in the entire second act or at least one of them where we see the introduction of a new gang of teenage age characters called the firelights who decide we don't like that some black market dealings are going on using Shimmer, which we see starts being shipped around by Silco's goons, being led by Savika. Um, and they decide to destroy it, because they hate Shimmer, which is a very interesting thing for a gang to said rob it, they're instead going to destroy it. Already signaling these guys may not be who they appear. As they go down, causing absolute havoc with some really cool chemtech, like, crystallized like prison bombs they're really really cool locking people down so they don't have to hurt anyone they just imprison them and then they're going to burn all the shimmer and then some firelights aside we're going to go down into the deeper hold and find more shimmer and destroy it only for the lat only for the hatch that they were entering to close on them revealing a monkey face and immediately we know oh no because the lights go off, we see some really cool, like, highlighted um, phosphorescent graffiti, and we also hear Jinx's laughter. 
Yes, that's right. Not powders. Full-blown jinx. You say oh no, I say oh hell yeah. And in a very horror movie kind of framing and cinematography, we see these poor Firelight guys get absolutely blown up by Jinx and her now very much working bombs. And we're probably going to say this a lot to you guys, but like, if you have no intention of watching the show, watch this scene because it is a masterpiece. And yeah, we're going to say that about a few other scenes coming up. It is very, very good. And then, of course, Jinx comes out through the smoke, and she says, Hi! And then unloads with her signature Pow Pow minigun, and starts eviscerating these firelights. Now, not all the fights get killed. They start, like, running around trying to escape from her. Uh, uh, Jinx uh, almost does some friendly fire, but not quite yet. And uh, then a firelight is about to throw down a flare or she seems about to, to ignite the shimmer, only to be hit in the face by Jinx and have her arm grabbed and she can't do the flare drop. And she has pink hair and is a girl. And immediately Jinx has a disassociative moment where she sees Vi instead of this pink-haired girl. And just freezes. She's just holding this girl. This girl's trying to run away. Like, the music stops. Like, there's almost no sound at all except for this eerie kind of scribbly kind of sound. And we just see more and more scribbles over the screen as Jinx is just frozen in a moment of disassociation, thinking Vi's there, and also not thinking Vi's there. She's so confused. And then the firelight drops the flare, and fire erupts, and Jinx keeps holding on the girl's trying to get away she can't and eventually by the time she finally escapes jinx breaks out of it and shoots her in the back and the leader of the firelights at least we assume the leader sees this happen is like oh heck no goes flying in to try to get to jinx only to be uh grabbed by one of his fellow firelights and zipped away Meanwhile, and then as that's happening, Jinx just starts unloading with Pow Pow everywhere, hurts one of the goons, and nearly hits Savika, and eventually, right as Savika is getting free of the crystal stuff as it's finally breaking down, uh, she stops Jinx and is like, Jinx, what the heck are you doing? You're hurting our own people. Also, you're supposed to protect the cargo. And Jinx is like, heh, whatever. And once again, showing that uh, this uh, this relationship between Jinx and Savika are, is not going well. We stan. Which then leads to a bunch of things. We're going to start fasting forward here because there's a lot of information to cover. So after that really cool scene, we get the speech at the festival. After Mel talks to Jay, Spacey be like, hey, maybe... You should show that cool stuff you're, you're you're making. And Jace is like, but I don't know about that. Heimerdinger is like, oh, we need more safeguards. And Jinchi's like, Heimerdinger's a man of the past. You're a man of the future. Cut to blimp with his face on it that says man of the future on it. Uh, or the man of tomorrow on it. And Jace, is, as we're seeing, is more and more conflicted because... He wants to do something, but he feels like he shouldn't, and it's a whole thing, because his mentor said no. And as all this is going on, he's also met back up with Caitlyn, who in the first act uh, was help, was basically his assistant, and also his her family 
was his patrons, the whole thing. Uh, and they seem to have some sort of, uh, had some blooming friendship at the time, and now they're friends now. And Jace is kind of poking fun at, at, at Caitlyn, who's now part in the Forcers, much to her mother's chagrin. And as all that's happening, uh, Caitlyn decides, hey, instead of being put on um, guard duty for nothing, I'm instead going to investigate this little incident that happened on this blimp involving the Shimmer and the Firelights. And as she investigates, she finds the wounded goon. She does good detective work. In a very good sequence, we see her, like, panning out where bullets were fired as she sees casings on the ground. It's a very cool sequence, really showing her aptitude as a detective. Very Sherlock Holmes. And as she's about to start interrogating this left-behind goon, Marcus shows up, who we now know is the current sheriff. Thanks, Marcus. And we all know Marcus is in the, is in the palm of Silco's hand already. That's no that just takes no guesswork at all. Everything would have been fine if Marcus had died in Act One. Just saying. And now we have Caitlin once again put on the sideline. And as Jace is finally at the festival, about to make his big speech, he is conflicted because he talks to Victor, and Victor's like. Hey, let's do the thing. We got the gemstone ready to be revealed. We're going to do it. We're going to show people that we can help my fellow Undercity people. And Jace is like, I I want to do that, like, but I'm not sure. And Victor's like, I know you'll do what's best. Also, and then Victor's like, yeah. Also, why don't you come up on the stage? We're partners in this. Yeah, you know, science partners. Nothing, nothing more than that. Um, and Victor's like, no, 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 I don't want to be up there, I'm all weak and frail, and I feel ugly, so you just go on ahead. And Jace says, like, okay, and then, in a very telling moment, as he goes on stage and says, like, wish me luck, he places his mug down, and it has his face on it, and it covers up Victor completely. Once again, showing that despite Jace's benevolent wants and desires and intentions, he is still harming people. Even people who say they don't want to do things, he's still indirectly harming them. And it's just a complicated situation. Like, we can't really blame Jace for that. That's kind of Victor's fault. But also, Jace should maybe push Victor a bit more? Who knows? It's a whole thing. Well, Jace gets on stage, starts making a speech, and as he's about to get to the part where he's going to say, show the gemstone, Victor, or whatever, um, he sees Heimerdinger judging him thoroughly in the audience front row seat right in the middle just staring at him just like daring him it's like i dare you to go against my will i dare you to defy your mentor like honestly i was a little intimidated for a for a tiny little furball heimerdinger's an intimidating person yeah heimerdinger's like two foot nothing and that scared the crap out of me and in that moment, Jace is like, okay, I will follow my mentor's wishes and not reveal the gemstone. So he doesn't. Mel does not like this and straight up just leaves. Victor is heavily disappointed and also leaves. <laughs> Mel and Victor will remember that. <laughs> Very much so. Heimerdinger is pleased, though. And then we get to a great scene where we see Caitlin is... Chilling with the boys, the other enforcers, only for the enforcers to make fun of her for being smart and also rich. And Caitlin's just like, yeah, there's, there's not, those aren't balloons, they're like, they're airships. They're not even blimps, they're straight up airships. And they're like, ah, blimp, balloon, airship, whatever. They're all floaty things. Rich, rich, smart gal. Ha ha ha. 
She's like, okay, thanks for that. Um, uh, and then she sees a fire. She's like, hey, there's a fire. Let's go deal with that. They run off to put out the fire. And actually a pretty heroic moment. They hear a child calling for help. Child in big quotation marks. And they run in to help her. Meanwhile, as Caitlin is putting out another nearby fire with really cool, like, steampunky looking extinguishers. It's revealed that the fire was covering up a gigantic monkey symbol. And she recognizes this monkey symbol from earlier when she was investigating that airship. And then a bunch of bombs go off, killing like five enforcers in one fell blow. It's actually pretty horrifying. And Caitlin gets blown back. And then as she's about to be knocked unconscious from the, con- from the concussive force, she sees Jinx making an escape with a pouch, which we then learn has the gemstone in it. And I do want to say one amazing part about this scene was um, like as the enforcers are going inside to save the quote unquote child, uh, we get the feeling that like we never see it, but it's confirmed that this is just a recording that Jinx made and it devolves from sweet, innocent child to I'm the one who started the fire because I wanna. And then the whole thing goes to shit. It was very good horror vibes like this show actually does horror really well and impressive it really does and why but here's a question why did jinx steal the gemstone well back before the whole festival thing let's cut back to the undercity where we see soko has taken over the last drop which was vander's bar and has converted it into a hub of drudgery and villainy like, very much so. Like, we see Shimmer being used all over the place. We see just gangsters and obviously kind of bad people just all up in that place. It is no longer the haven where safety is guaranteed no matter who you are. If you're a nerdy little guy who's trying to make a bad de- who's trying to make a good deal out of a bad deal, it's now, no, you just make deals and you hope you don't get stabbed. Like, it is very much that place now. I will say, as, like, much of a shithole as uh the undercity has become it's also like finally starting to feel like a place that has culture uh so it's got this really interesting dichotomy where like silco has fucked the place up like that there's no question about that but he's also given it life and an identity so it's kind of like this is really bad but it's also like good for this place to finally be something instead of just depressed people recovering from a failed coup we we literally see like neon signs everywhere we see clubs we see everything has really ramped up in intensity all because of the influx of shimmer and probably an increase in money from like black market deals that silco has been dealing with using marcus but as we see all this we get a really cool moment where savika uh, charges into Silco's office is like, yo, your girl shot at me. What the heck? And Silco's just like, get over yourself. Like, get out. Like, you failed. Just, just accept that you failed at your job and get out of here. And then we see that Jinx is in the loft. She's just up there chilling. She heard it all. And Silco, in a very calm, soothing way, asks her, like, what happens? Jinx hops down. And talks about the pink-haired girl. Soko talks about it very calmly with her. 
in in a very real way, he is showing empathy. He is caring about her. He's just like, so what happened? We can't really let this happen again, but it's okay. I still love you. You you made a mistake, but we'll move past this. It'll be okay. Like being very calm and soothing and encouraging to Jinx. Well, and she, there's a really cool moment where he says like, hey, because this failed, we're going to be set back weeks on our operations. And Jinx says, I know. And that's it. No further reprimand. Just straight up the fact. That's it. Jinx's like, okay. And they move on. And in a really um, very cool moment, also really kind of funny, uh, Jinx uh, grabs Silco, has this little syringe thing he uses to inject into his eye because his eye's all effed up from when Sil- from when Vander tried to kill him the first time around and failed. And he does it to like help uh, either alleviate pain from the eye. It's a bit unclear, but mm-hmm. he-, he does it anyways. Um, and we see him hand the syringe that he originally used for himself in Act 1 to Jinx, allowing her to do it for him. A very vulnerable position to put your eye under someone else's puncturing power. And he's like, I trust you to not kill me. And Jinx starts messing around with it, like blowing air into it. And also has a very funny line where she is talking about like, uh, can't live with sisters, can't, can't put them back into the old baby maker, which is a very funny line. And... Then we go back to Silco just being like, hey, you messed up, but it's okay. And Jinx be like, I know I messed up, I, it won't happen again. And Silco just says, I know. Very father-daughter kind of relationship. We see Jinx even leaning up against Silco in a very, like, head-touch way. And, like, as she's doing this, she says, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry I messed up. And it's just such a beautiful moment in my opinion like and it's so weird seeing them have this relationship like it just feels so jarring compared to the last time we saw them also i don't know if you were about to cover it but silco does sort of reprimand her a little bit by telling her to stay back and not go on her next mission yeah he does yeah. but he very much phrases it in a way like i need you to be at your best so i right. need you to take a break yeah it's very much a step back calm down and then we'll let you come and then come back to work when you're good yeah it's it's a, it is a reprimand in a way but it is a soft reprimand at best mm-hmm. and he very much phrases it in a way of like i'm doing this for your own good it'll be okay and then she injects him in the eye and it's all good um then we cut to Jinx in her little workshop, which is wild. It's on a giant propeller. There's freaking graffiti all over the place. She's throwing bombs because she's mad. It's like, he thinks I'm weak. He thinks I'm useless. Ah, lots of self-doubt and also lots of schizophrenic kind of tendencies. She starts seeing things. We, we realize that she, her mental state has really deteriorated over the years. Uh, this is our first hint that uh, things have really gone bad for her in the few years um and like she's still holding on to everything because one of these pictures that flashes in like next to her is milo yeah it is she is literally being haunted by the guilt of killing her friends and family and a thing to keep in mind is the voice that haunts her the most is milo and it's not because milo and her were particularly like close and she feels so much regret it's because milo was always the one that talked down to her he was the one that always didn't believe in her and called her a jinx in the first place. And so now he is the literal devil of for her. He's the one always saying, like, 
you're just going to mess up again. You're going to just get more people killed that you care about. You're a screw up. You're a jinx. You're a jinx. You're a jinx. And despite her now calling herself jinx to try and like reclaim some power, I guess, it doesn't matter. It still haunts her that Milo was right. And that tears her up on the inside. Now, I will say, Milo wasn't right. Milo was being an a-hole. But at the same time, in her mind, he was right. And that's what matters. It just tears her up on the inside. Mm. And so she decides, well, I'm going to prove I am strong enough. I'm going to prove to Silco I'm a ballet and he doesn't need to let me have a, a sabbatical. And so that's when he, she does the whole robbery and steals the gemstone. And oh my goodness, all hell breaks loose after that. The council is in an uproar. Jace is like, I will deal with it, but oh no. And as all that's going down, Silco is like, Jinx, what the heck? Jinx is listening to her own theme song and completely ignoring him. And then finally he's like, Jinx! And she says, that's me, in a very fun way. And then as Silco is about to actually probably properly reprimand her for what she did like really calling us like you have you have literally exploded the upper city you have caused that you have done a terrorist <laughs> like i told you to step back and you killed six cops that are on, technically on my payroll <gasps> like oh no you are going to bring down the the entire pilto like all the upper city on the inner city because of this also i just want to say something we kind of glossed over but going back to the animation and like the cinematography um like the way they show jinx's mind like jumping from one thought to another is really amazing and like really clever in my opinion uh we see it in the scene of silco where like she he's telling her like hey you messed up and she's got the injector and she's playing with it like an airplane um, and then we see it again here when she's ignoring him. Um, they do these little flash cuts where like one second she's doing one thing and the next she's talking about something completely different on the other side of the room. And it's just really fascinating to see like how her mind, like the way they visualize her mind jumping from one spot to another so erratically. And as we see this and as she finally seems to kind of center herself when Silko's around and Silko is like, yo what the heck and all that kind of stuff that's when jinx reveals she has the gemstone a thing that silko was kind of not didn't really know about the gemstone but he was he was getting more and more worried about the gap between the technology up in piltover versus in the undercity he recognized that hextech was a big advantage for the upper city he was getting really worried about it and now he has the most recent innovation of hextech in his hand and Jinx fires off fireworks and celebration that she did a good thing. She didn't mess something up in her mind. And then she hugs him totally and completely. And Silco embraces, like, he's kind of like frozen there a bit as he's staring at the gemstone. But he does hug her back as he reckons, like, maybe this isn't so bad. And maybe... My trust in Jinx is is worthwhile, like despite what just happened. Like maybe I should just let Jinx do her own thing more. And 
we cut from that from back to Caitlyn trying to figure out what the heck is going on. She's trying to figure out who is this monkey terrorist? Like who, who are these people? <laughs> and um, as that's happening, Jace is being promoted to a council member so that he can more fully control the Hexgates, but not of his own volition. Yeah, I was about to say, this is not something he wants. This is something Mel pretty much forces on him without talking to him beforehand. And like, Mel, I love you. You are a strong, powerful, independent woman. That's fucked up. You gotta talk to people before changing their life plans. And as 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 that is happening as well, we see poor Victor being like, Chase, you're supposed to tell people about the gemstone so that we could help the people in the Undercity who are dying in the streets from noxious fumes that we are giving them. And Jace is like, I'm sorry, things happen uh i kind of was a coward it's the whole thing it's jace is not in a good spot right now and so now he's like looking for any win so like okay at least if i'm in charge of hextech security which is what his role is on the council that's his job maybe he can do something about all this so as he's trying to figure out ways to investigate where the gemstone went he goes to caitlin and caitlin is doing full-on Sherlock Holmes freaking red lines on photos trying to connect the dots. She's, like, trying to figure out what all the connections are between the monkey face and this robbery and the entire Undercity. Um, And um, as she's doing all that, Jace is like, hey, I got some flowers for you. And she's like, cool, just chucks it. Like, it's like, I need you to look at this. (laughs) Um, I do want to say, like, something fascinating about this scene that someone I saw online pointed out. Um, like, we see her, she's got this map on the floor of Piltover and the Undercity, and she's, like, got connections going on between places and people and events and everything. Um, they pointed out that, like, she's never been to the Undercity, but this is still, like, an insanely accurate map and timeline of events. And it's hella impressive. And it just shows, like, how awesome she is at her job. Caitlin is a premier detective of the highest order. There is a reason she is basically the Sherlock of League. Like, she is very smart. And as as she's going all over, just like she's trying to figure this out, Jace is like, hey, I have a job offer for you. How about you be my head of security in my little firm thing, my whole little job? And she's like, what the heck is this nonsense? I want to be this. I want to be an enforcer. That's the whole point. And he's like, well, you see, you're kind of not officially an enforcer anymore. Uh, Marcus kind of puts you on leave because your mom made a call and doesn't want you in danger anymore. So I'm trying to help out a little bit by trying to give you at least a decent, similar job. Yeah, he's basically saying this is the best you're going to do. Take it or leave it. And In a much kinder way. Yeah. He's trying to actually help her. Yeah, but like... This, it kind of spits in Caitlin's face because she literally says, you're giving me a desk job knowing that I want to help people. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. And so she leaves off and um, decides to use uh, Jace's new position in a very fun way where she uh, takes his paper. Um, uh, like he still, she still has like the letter of like, hey, come join me or whatever. So she has his signature and then she leaves off to go investigate the one lead she still has, which is the goon from earlier who had been injured and that she was originally planning to interrogate. So she goes to a place called Stillwater Prison. I'm, I just want to say, like, this next part is 
very, very clever. And it's handled a little awkwardly because it's Caitlin and she's a goody two-shoes. But very devious, very well executed, just a little socially awkward, but just love it. Great job, girl. I love you. And so Caitlin goes to Stillwater and is like, hey, I need to talk to this prisoner. Warden is just like, ah, sorry, but he uh, he can't talk right now. His jaw is shattered. And she's like, uh, who shattered his jaw? Um, a certain prisoner that we do not name. And so she goes down to find said unnamed prisoner, who is quickly revealed, punching a wall like a complete bad A. Vi. We finally see Vi again. And now, time to go really fast. Okay, so... The very next thing we see in the next episode is Vi and Caitlin, and they have some talk. Vi basically like, hi, are you going to beat me up like everyone else? He's like, no, I'm trying to find information about this man named Silco. And Vi's like, cool, I know who Silco is. Silco's an a-hole. But if you want my help, you're going to take me along with you. He's like, hmm, I don't know about that. You're kind of a a lot. And she's just like, "Uh, yeah, good luck surviving the Undercity without me, though. And Caitlin's like, Dang it, she's right. And so she uses the p- pretty much confirmed forged signature of Jace to free K- Vi. And then they decide to escape down to the Undercity to further the investigation to figure out what the heck is going on. Meanwhile, while Caitlyn's thinking, oh, Vi's going to help me figure out Silco's whole thing, Vi's like, that is my sister's monkey symbol. I recognize that from anywhere. I need to find my sister. So... Two different motives, but same, similar goal. But they're not telling each other, because of course they're not. And so as they're going down there, and all that insanity is going down, poor Victor is effing dying. He is coughing up blood, he is not in a good spot. We've seen he's looked really bad since the first episode of the second act. And he's talking to Jace, once again talking about like, Hey, we didn't do the gemstone thing, and Jace is like, I'm sorry, I have more work to do now. I, I'll do what I can. And Victor's like, mm-hmm, cool. Um, you still disappointed me. Thanks so much. And as he's getting really delirious from the coughing up blood thing, he has a kind of pseudo-vision as he stares at a bunch of Hexec stuff. And then he decides, hmm, magic is not linear, essentially. He realizes that magic is not just a singular thing. It's not tied to singular things. And he decides to make a cool little device called the Hexcore. Anyone who plays League knows Hexcore is a big deal for Victor. And essentially, he decides that magic can evolve, it can change, and that includes Hextech. And as he's trying to figure out how to do it with this really cool Hexcore, um, Jace is like, cool, well, well, yeah, we'll totally do that, we'll, we'll, I'm all on board on the Hexcore train. He's all on board for this. But he's also busy with other things. Mostly he's busy with uh, dealing with Mel. uh, Who is very much um, being like, So Jace, you're on the council now. And she's like, yep, I am. And I'm rooting up corruption like a good person. It's like, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, here's the thing politicians don't like when you rat out their corruption and stop their contraband. So you're going to need to step down and just give them a little bit of sugar. And essentially she starts teaching him how to politic, how to make backroom deals and stuff. And as all that is going on, 
a lot of things go down. So we see in this really cool sequence with Jace making all these backroom deals in a opera-like theater where a, a really cool violinist is playing. A fun fact, the violinist is actually based on a real-life world-famous violinist who has done a lot of work with Riot Games in the past. He's very cool. Look him up. Um, his name is uh, uh, Ray Chen, I believe. And he's really cool. So as uh, this whole performance is going on, None of these politicians are paying attention to it. None of these counselors care about it. Except for one. Our little furball Heimer. He is having the blast of his life. He's loving his performance. He's just in it. That's all he cares about. Because Heimer is a simple man. He loves music and art and innovation and science. That's what he loves. Um, and while he is blinded by beautiful music and his own political ineptitude... Jace is making deal after deal after deal in a great sequence, shaking hands with all the council members, very quickly making his own alliances, and it's very quickly showing there is a massive shift of power occurring on the council. I warned you we were going to say this a lot, especially this act. Watch this scene, even if you don't want to watch the show. It's gorgeous. It's a very good scene. Then we cut back to... Caitlin and Vi doing their whole shindig, trying to get down to the Undercity. Caitlin's like, hey, let's take the trolley down. And Vi's like, nah, I got a better plan. And she parkours down like a freaking bad A. She's doing flips and twists and jumps and so many cool moves. She gets down there in record time, mugs a man because he tried to mug her, steals his jacket and another jacket for good measure, and gives the extra jacket to Caitlin as a disguise. Uh, Caitlin gets down there eventually. Um, she actually gets down there so slowly, an old man taking the trolley got there first, which is very, very funny. And they go on to investigate. Well, sort of. Vi gets some food. Because she is starving and wants good food that isn't prison food. And so she goes to this cool uh, fish, uh, looks like he's a Vestein, potentially. And he's like chopping up, making sushi and some weird squid food. It's really cool. And Vi's like, this is all delicious. Definitely not kosher, but it's really delicious and definitely not up to par. Like, it's very much, um, uh, it's, uh, let's just say that facility would not be getting an A on any health exam. I'd try it, just saying. And Caitlin's just like, what are you doing? We're wasting time. And Vi's like, eh, whatever. And then, uh, the, uh, the chef, uh, gives her a little note with a symbol on it. And immediately Caitlin realizes, ah, this is how the Undercity works. You cannot be going around asking questions like you're an enforcer. You have to make friends. You have to make conversation. And you have to pass notes. Basically, it's an entirely different ballgame. And she is learning fast. And Vi is still speeding on four. So Caitlin has to learn fast real quick. As all that's going on, Jinx is trying to work on the gemstone using the stolen note she took from Jace's laboratory. And, um, she has, to put it very frankly, she has a flashback. She has a traumatic moment where, as she's working on the gemstone, it kind of flares up, makes a big explosion, and she remembers killing her family. And immediately she's like, no, I cannot do this again. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. And... Uh, she goes to Silco a little bit later, as Silco is still figuring out things, and she's like, oh, this is all pain in my butt, I hate everything about this. And um, she's like, Marcus, get a handle on this nonsense, please, you're 
deal with the top side. Marcus is just like, uh, what am I supposed to do? He's like, I don't know, use this grenade. Use this grenade. It's totally a firelight grenade. Totally. It's Jinx's grenade. But he's calling a firelight grenade and saying, Marcus, tell them it's firelights and you have your, 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 your chunk of meat. And well, as Marcus leaves, um, after contemplating blowing up the grenade to kill him and Silco in kind of a very cool sequence that caught me by surprise, only to then be revealed he didn't actually pull the pin, and Silco really calling him out on is like, "What do you think yourself a hero?" It's very, it's very good. It is very good. Uh, we see Jinx um up, like hop back down, and she's like, "I can't do it. I cannot do this gemstone nonsense," and Silco's just like. Uh, yeah, you do. I can only rely on you. And she's like, give it to the doctor. Totally singed. And he's like, no, I only trust you. And so she's like, I, I, I just can't, though. The, I'm too afraid. I'm too traumatized. He's like, okay. I'm going to do something about that. And so, before we get to that moment, we're going to cut back to probably one of the funniest and coolest moments. We go to a brothel. It turns out the symbol that Jinx and Vi were given was a symbol of a local brothel that Vi remembers. It used to be a smaller brothel. Now it's a little bigger and it's run by a particular character who we'll talk about in a second. Can you go ahead and say who it is? Yeah, sure. Go okay. ahead. It's a little old yordle lady and she's... Like, she's a sex worker, which is just a fascinating concept for yordles in general. But, um, yeah, and she's become the madam of this brothel, and it's someone that we saw in the first act as, like, a background character, and now she's become, like, someone semi-important, and it's just the detail in this show, you guys. And as we're going through the brothel, we get some great little moments, like we see two characters lounging, wearing lamb and wolf masks, which is very good. We see uh, some bubbles and, and giggling. Caitlin kind of taking a double take of that room. And then we see a straight up yordle in a gimp suit. So that's, um, that happened. Like, Fortiche, I just want to talk. Who the fuck approved that? And thank you. <laughs> and as they go through, Caitlin's like, okay, what we're we supposed to do? And Vi's like, girl, you need to blend in. We need to, like, behave like you work here. Talk some people up. It'll help us get some more information. Um, kind of trying to get rid of Caitlyn for a bit so she can do her own thing. But she has the right idea. And Caitlyn's like, what do you mean pretend I work here? Like, how am I supposed to do that? And Jinx, or not Jinx, Vi, uh, very much looks around her a bit, studies her a bit, then gets real close and says, you're hot, cupcake. Like, it is very obvious. Kate has never been more aroused in her entire life. And, like, girl, same. Like, it's a very much, like, woo boy, very spicy. And then, uh, she has a very funny moment where she grabs a random patron who's just like, uh, hi. And Vi's like, you can, it's like, my name's blah, 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 but you can call her Matilda. And then Caitlin, in a very fake, like, um, Cockney accent, starts going like, yes, my name's Matilda. I got that name from blah, blah, blah. Uh, actually, I think you have that backwards. I think what Vi says is, my name's Matilda, but you can call her whatever you want. And then she just, and Caitlin yeah. still calls herself Matilda. Yeah, because Caitlin's not good at this. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about that. The whole point, either way, is that then she starts making up a story. It's very funny. But then Vi goes off to talk to the madam of the brothel, as we talked about, this little old yordle lady 
who is so cool. She has an awesome little office. And we see that despite her having a background character earlier, they do a great job establishing that she knew Vander. Like, she remembers Vander. And Vi straight up asks her, like, what the heck happened? What happened to the Undercity? Why is my dad's old bar now run by Silco? What happened while I was in prison? And, like, like no one tried to stop Silco? And she straight up says, like, some did. And they're all dead now. Everyone that has tried to stand the Silco has died. And after a point, you have to just try to survive. And she, you can see her, she's so defeated. She is, she's seen who knows how many old friends that hung out with Vander in the bar are now dead because of Silco. And there's nothing she can do. She's only one Jordal. She runs a brothel and that's it. Like, there's only so much she can do. But she does say to Vi, after Vi pressuring her a bit, it's like, hey, you need to give me something here. She says, well, one of, um, Silco's second, for his right hand, his right hand, uh, is a regular here. Um, so go talk to this person. You'll find out where they are. It's like, okay, cool. Thanks. And as she walks out, she sees Caitlin talking to a very pretty lady in a very, uh, very comfortable way. Uh, kind of looks like a, hmm. They totally boned off screen. And then Vi walks out to go investigate who the other person is, it's totally Savika. Um, as she walks out, we cut back to a very good sequence. This very good sequence, well, we get multiple in reference to session. First off, we get Jinx with Silco in the toxic water that Silco nearly drowned in by his friend, by his brother Vander. And he basically starts recounting the tale. Jinx is like, blah, 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 I've heard it all before. And Silk was like, okay, let me tell you something else then. This is the day that an old me died and a new one was born. And you need to do the same. You need to let Powder die. You are Jinx now. And literally, while he's saying this to her, he fucking baptizes her in the water and brings her back out. Like, it looks... It's just such a beautiful, like spiritual ceremony and like he's it seems like he's just playing it by ear like trying to help her but there's something so intimate and sorry spiritual about it that it's just an amazing sequence and honestly just watch the show at this point like what the hell are you doing and we get that scene which cuts to Vi beating the absolute heck out of Savika in a very cool fight scene it feels punchy it feels raw it is so good. Savika has a robot arm now. It is wild. Watch this scene. It's a great fight scene. And then, right as Vi is about to finally beat up Savika, Savika says, she's like, where is Powder? Where's my sister? And Savika just laughs and says, she is Silco's daughter now. And Vi is shocked, stunned, like, she just doesn't know what to say. Which, Savika takes a chance to stab her with a claw arm. And, uh, right as Savika's then about to finish poor Vi in a straight-up Mortal Kombat way, uh, Caitlyn comes to the rescue and shoots this little vial that Savika has, turning off her arm. Yeah, uh, it's really cool. It's, again, kind of like going back to duality, where, um, Vi has the Hextech gauntlets later on, 
uh, Savika has a freaking chemtech arm that runs on shimmer. And uh, so Kate just, you know, being an awesome sniper, just shoots the vial of shimmer and makes her arm useless. And we actually see that she is a good shot earlier in that same episode where we see a flashback with her with Grayson in a shooting competition that Caitlyn wins technically because Grayson lets her win. But we see before Grayson gets involved that she was very much already on the way to winning. And that uh, the whole Grayson thing was just to show that she still has a way to go. Grayson's still probably a better shot. Mm. But Grayson, but this is the whole origin of why Caitlyn wants to be an enforcer is big thanks to Grayson. Rip Grayson. We all miss Grayson. Yeah. She was a great character. Mm-hmm. And now we see her using those great sniper skills to not kill, but to incapacitate. Which shows once again that Caitlyn is still learning the world. She she doesn't want to kill anyone still. She just wants to protect people. That is all that Caitlyn cares about. That's what a lot of these characters care, care about is just protecting people. Yeah, it's very much... There's a lot of, um, like righteousness going on in this show where everyone thinks they're doing the right thing to protect the people they love and it and, backfires horribly yeah it backfires horribly uh some worse than others but um yeah it's it's just really interesting like it goes back to a quote from ruby actually of all things mm. um where it's just like everyone thinks what they're doing is right and it's just we very much see that playing out in this show and it's just oh, it's so good very much everyone's a hero of their own story kind of moment. Um, even Silco thinks he's doing what's best for Zahn, or what should what will become Zahn in his in his dream. And as Savika is taken is runs away because her arm is all shot to heck and back, uh, and Caitlin's would most likely very much f her up if she stayed. Uh, she then goes down to to divides like, ah, bye, you're hurt, and she's like, yeah, I'm also delirious from blood loss. And uh, as she picks her up, it's like, we need to get you somewhere safe. Um, uh, Vice is like, thanks, Cupcake. And she's like, stop calling me Cupcake. He's like, but you're sweet. Like a cupcake. In a very flirty, cute moment. The show was made for the gays. Very much so. Especially people who love Kate x Phi. This is their show, for sure. As all that's going down, let's cut back to um, Jace. What is Jace doing? Uh, what Jace is doing is he's sleeping with Mel. Like, straight up, after many, many moments, uh, we see that there is some sexual tension between Mel and Jace, at the same time that Victor is trying to get the Hexcore to work, but it's not quite doing what he wants, and he's getting really frustrated by it. Um, it feels weird to say this, this is the most beautiful and artistic sex scene I have ever seen in my life. I, again, like, just watch this scene. It It, it is... It is an artistic masterpiece, just f- straight up, one hundred percent. If you don't do, if you don't watch any of the other scenes we've talked about, watch this scene. It, oh, it's gorgeous. Also, if you have not realized, this is an adult animated show. This is the moment. If kid murder was not earlier, I mean, yeah, but if it wasn't the kid murder, then that's on you. Yeah, this is like your second time to realize, like, hmm, maybe this show is meant for a certain audience. But in this moment, it's very, it is very beautiful. It is a intertwining of Mel and Jace, well, laying in bed together and doing the deed in a very celestial, like, you see stars and galaxies. And at the same time we're seeing that, we are seeing a moment where Victor is coughing up blood uh, after his assistant tries to uh, and fails to ask him out on a date, basically, and it does not work. Uh, 
Rip this character, who we'll talk about later. Uh, her name's Sky, and she's precious. We love Sky, but Sky gets done dirty a little bit. Yeah, she does. We'll, we'll just talk about that later. Um. Anyways, what happens is, as as she walks off, and Victor's trying and failing again and again with his hex core. He's trying so hard to make it work. Uh, he starts coughing up blood. He gets delirious. He passes out, and he just passes out on the floor. The blood, however, is a little close to that hex core, and in a, and this is where it all goes off, we see this blood drop rise up by being shocked by, like, magical lightning, get sucked into the hex core, and suddenly we see the, essentially the DNA of the cosmos get corrupted by the blood, and intertwining that with Mel and Jace, well, having sex, like, doing the deed, in between, like, a view of the galaxy and the cosmos being just intertwined with more and more blood and viscera until we just see basically, like, a climactic moment, and then the scene ends, and it is gorgeous. It is a beautiful scene, and... People, some people have made jokes like, oh, it's like, oh, all the celestial stuff is like, oh, this is so good in the bedroom. But no, that's not what's happening. We are seeing intertwined specifically with blood corrupting magic. It is not a moment of, ooh, oh, wow, they're so good in bed. It is a moment of, oh, no, Chase has been fully corrupted by Mel. It, that is what's happening. You got it backwards, people. This is about Mel to Jace, not the other way around. I will say, um, because it comes up very soon after this, actually, he's not fully gone at this point. No. He is, I, I know, I understand the symbolism that's there, but, like, there's a glimmer of the old Jace still in there, and we see that, I don't remember if it's immediately after this, or if it's later on in the episode. It's almost immediately yeah. after. Um, so I'll go ahead and say it. Um, Basically, uh, we see, uh, like, we see all that happen. We see Victor collapse on the floor. Um, then at one point, it cuts to Jace and Mel spending the night together. And Jace, I think it's a phone call or something. He doesn't get a phone. Phones do not exist. I know phones don't exist, but something happens. He essentially finds out. We don't really know how. He, he receives a message at, of something. We don't know what at the exact moment. Uh, and he rushes out of the room, like, leaving Mel in the middle of the We night. don't even see him leave. We literally yeah. just cut from, we see Mel in the bed by herself, her hair all out, and no one else is there. Yeah. And then we cut over to Victor in a hospital bed with Jace sitting there, worried sick over his best friend. Quote, unquote. <laughs> and it is a very good moment of showing, like, this is who Vic Jace cares about. He cares about Victor. Mel, he, there probably is something going on between him and Mel. That's true. However, when the chips are down and Victor's in trouble, Victor comes first over anything. Mm -hmm. It just shows how close they are. Ever since that one night on that little edge, it, it, it changed everything. And now we get to a very fun moment where as after uh, Jinx is now actually, she's now unlocked the gemstone she's figured it out she's now fully ramped up and all that good stuff um we see uh, Savika stumbling into Silco's office Silco saying very nonchalantly um you're you're making a mess it's very good <laughs> it is um and then Savika says 
Vi is a lot. Vi is back, and Silco, in a very stunned way, turns back and says, "From the dead." Like, it's hard for us to emphasize right now because, like, you kind of need his facial expressions mm. too. But this man had no idea Vi was alive. He fully like, thought she was dead. Like, you can hear it in his voice. You can see it in his face, in his, the way he slams his hands on his desk. Like, he's just like, from the dead, are you sure? And it's... He doesn't quite slam on the desk, but he, like, closes his little yeah, hand mirror he has. Yeah. He's like, bam! It's like, from the I, dead. Like, I he think, is so yeah, shocked. It's, like... Again, great shot, great acting, great voice acting, great animation, cinematography. The show is a because you have to understand. Up to this point, he has been telling Jinx like Vi is gone because he believes that. He, yeah, Marcus told him Vi is gone, and so Silco thought that was true. Do we find that out next three? Uh, no, we found that here. That okay. Mar- that Marcus uh, didn't tell him. Okay, this is the act. We find that out. Um, the point is, after all that, Silco's just like, okay, this is a problem. I cannot have Vi going anywhere near Jinx. Jinx is in a very fragile state right now. I am only finally getting her to be fully realize herself as Jinx. Vi needs to go away. Because in Silco's mind, Jinx is what Powder should be. Jinx is right. Powder is not. Because in Silco's mind, well, who he is now, who he has become since his betrayal of his brother is who he's supposed to be and if jinx turns back because of vi what who is he like it's very much a a, a thing of like he thinks what he's doing for jinx is the right thing because it was right for him right he, he really does think he's doing the right thing by her like he honestly, thinks he's being a good dad he does and i i think he is sorry like i know obviously he's a villain there's no denying that. Silco is a villain. He's going to support Jinx becoming a villain as well. But the point is, like, he supports her. He tries to help her. He encourages her. He, we see so much that he loves her. And it's just, but the only reason it's so twisted is because he's a bad guy trying to help her become a bad guy. But it's from a base of love, and it's so wild. Which is why you can say he is a pretty good father to her. He is also an enabler. Yeah. It's, he's not... Being a good father does not mean you're good for someone. It, it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. He's a good father. He's not a... He's not the right father for Jinx, unfortunately. Right. It's very much that kind of situation. But, uh, I mean, again, going into this, we knew this whole story was a tragedy. Yeah, this whole thing's a tragedy. It's just getting, it's going to get worse and worse. So, now we see Vi bleeding out, she, uh, and Caitlin's trying to get her somewhere, anywhere to get her healed. And she's like, uh, there's this place down, like, in uh, if the slums of slums, essentially, mm. where maybe we can get help, or at least I know a place there. A fun fact, that place is Vi's old home. And they get down there after Vi uh, d- tries to do parkour, uh, has a negative 10 to her uh, dex check, and fails it miserably with a natural 1. Yeah, she almost fucking dies. She, she, it's, she, it's hilarious. It, it's kind of funny in a very sad way. Yeah. And Kayla's like, uh, and she gets down there uh, as the, they, they climb down some scaffolding, which shakes a bit. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> as all that's happening, we see some firelights watching them escape the... Uh, 
uh, the goons of Soka who are trying to find them, but they don't catch them in time, so they don't know where they are. So we're just going to set three Chekhov's guns on the table right now. Firelight's watching it happen, a little shaky thing. It's like, hmm, lots of things going on. Lots of Chekhov's guns. And the um, Soka's people. And Soka's people, barely missing them. Yes. It's like, okay, they're not not too far off. Hmm. And as all that is happening, oh boy, okay. So now Soka's like, well, Marcus effed up. He lied to me. I have someone to meet. And so, and as all that's happening, we have the whole Jace and Victor thing going on. We have Mel kind of being salty about being um, left in the middle of the night by herself after having some fun times. And she's a bit uh, upset about that. That is until Jace uh, walks in. Actually, no, she's still very salty at this moment. Jace walks in and she's painting a beautiful oil painting heck she makes her own paints with with egg we see her making it which is very cool and she's like wow i didn't know you were an artist like there's a lot of things you don't know about me a hole Mm -hmm. and he's just like oh well victor's dying and mel immediately feels like shit (laughs) she immediately regrets like being a little petty towards jace for leaving her alone once she realizes why and she comes over to him and sits down next to him. And then Jace lays his head in her lap. She's a bit like, oh, this is happening now. But then she comforts him. And she's like, I don't know what to do. My best friend is dying. And I don't know how to save him. It's a very tragic moment. Which leads to um, lots of revelations in rapid succession. First off, we got poor Vi being absolutely delirious from blood loss in her old home. Caitlin's trying to take care of her. She's del- she's del- she's having um, hallucinations of her sister, of maybe her mother at some point. Like, it's all going crazy. And Caitlin's like, oh god, I'm gonna lose my maybe my first girlfriend. It's a whole thing. So she's like, okay, I need to do something. So she leaves the house and runs into a little nerdy guy who we met in Act 1 who Vander helped. And he's not looking so hot. He's got some weird purple growths on him. Turns out he took Shimmer, got addicted to it, because he just wanted to feel powerful. It shows how addictive and awful Shimmer can be. It's very tempting to become a Hulk monster just to punch someone you hate. It, It all makes sense. And is at this moment this guy's like, hey, I know Vi, I want to help. And Ken's like, okay, how can we do that? He's like, I know someone here who might be able to help. And so they go to a character named the Apothecary, who looks really cool. Mm -hmm. Like, this character design, y'all, again, I can't stress enough how amazing this show is. But this specific character, just so much detail. So they look like someone you would call an Apothecary. Yep. And... As she goes there, she's like, okay, I need me- I need medicine to heal a stab wound, which is very funny to me. I need, me- I, ne- I need to give some pills to, to my stab wound girlfriend. Like, it's like, okay, that's not what normally you would ask for, but sure, magic pills, let's go. Right. Or just gets like a magic drug of some kind. And as she's trying to get it, the apothecary comes back fairly quickly with a little vial and says, trade. Caitlin's like, okay she looks at the vial notices it's 
looks pretty normal, but it's not quite being as guarded as she would expect. Like, it's pulled back a little bit when, like, Caitlyn looks like she might go for it, but not as much as she would think. So it's like, okay, what's going on here? Then she notices there's a tiny little vial as, like, an earring on this apothecary. Puts two to two together that if you don't give a proper trade, you won't get the full medicine. And so she turns over her freaking awesome foldable sniper rifle, rip awesome sniper rifle, yeah. and passes it over after unloading around because she's not a moron. And the person's like, cool, proper trade. And so she gives a little drop of shimmer, interestingly enough, into the medication and hands it over to Caitlin, who actually takes it. Um, poor nerdy guy's like, ooh, shimmer. And then they kind of part ways as Caitlin goes to give the medication to Vi. Back to Silco. Silco, like I said, is not happy with Marcus's performance. And so he decides to pay not Marcus a visit exactly. No, Marcus is like, I've messed up. I don't deserve to be sheriff. He's having a whole self-doubt moment. He sees a little a picture of his daughter. And he's like, at least I have my daughter, right? It's like a little drawing or something. It's really cute. Uh, turns out, uh, by the way, Marcus's wife is dead. Mm, um, yeah. Because we see her, like, as an angel in the sky from the children's drawing. It's like, oh, oof. Right. I didn't need to feel anything about this man, and you do this to me. Mm-hmm. It, they very much do a good job of showing that Marcus is not a good person, but he's still a person, and it's... It, it, he's complicated, essentially. It's like, he's still done wrong, but at the same time, he's a dad. And it's like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Yeah. Which leads to a great scene where he's opening his daughter's door. It's like, oh, my daughter's playing. How cute. And then see Silco playing with her with a bunch of, with two goons in there with him. And it turns from, oh, yay, to, oh, no, very quickly. And Silco gives a great conversation where it's lots of innuendo and analogy being like, have you, have like, have you ever lied before? And it's like a whole thing. And Mark is like, I'll make sure Vi is dealt with. And he's like, mm-hmm. Um, but what about this uh, girl that got her out of the prison? Uh, this Caitlin. It's like, oh, sh- sh- her family, like, they never listen to anyone. They do whatever they want. And Silco's like, so what use are you? And Mark is like, okay, um, I'll make sure Vi disappears forever this time. And also Caitlin. And Silco's like, cool. Uh, hey, little girl accidents happen you know and then he uh topples her little like uh pyramid of cards or whatever and just goes oops and then walks out and oh the tension in the scene another scene you must watch at all costs very very good the writing and acting is superb you feel the tension from the moment that door opens and it doesn't go away even after it's over it is so good ah Hitchcock would be proud of the tension in this room. It's so good. Then we cut back to uh, Victor's hex core, which looks a little uh, different. It's more purple now. That's interesting and not at all a little scary. It's just a little purple, not too much. Um, and and Victor points out to Jace as he's showing, like, hey, the hex core is different now. It's like, okay, what way? It affects organic matter. That's new. Look, it can make a plant grow massively, rapidly. It's like, that's awesome. It's like, yeah, if we can affect organic matter, we can augment people. Hmm, we can do some other cool things. We can help, we can do medicine with magic. And Jace is like, oh, we can save you. We can save you, Victor. 
Jace is the one that brings it up, not Victor, by the mm, way. It's amazing. These two are way more than friends. Convince me otherwise. Oh, it's so good. And then the plant dies, though, and Jace and Victor points out, like, no matter what I do, the it doesn't stick. The augmentation, the the mutations, they don't stick. They they reject it every time, and I don't know why. And it's just like, don't worry, we'll figure it out together. Hmm. And more and so they start trying to figure this out. Only for Heimerdinger to come in a little later, as Jace is like, Look, look, Heimerdinger, this hexcore thing, it's it's can do it can possibly heal. It can save Victor's life. Isn't that cool? Heimerdinger's just like war flashbacks to the Rune Wars, where magic went volatile and killed a billion people. And he's like, um, I know you guys don't like listen to me. Like you ignore me on Hexec in the first place, which I'm still a bit salty about, but let's move past that. If you don't listen to anything else I say, listen to me now there has always been a seed of destruction when magic is involved and it looks like that thing pointing at the hex core and he's like destroy it we must destroy it now before it goes wrong and jace is like uh excuse me what uh this could save victor's life and heimer is like victor you look different and victor's like really i don't feel different it's like Victor looks a little healthier, like a tiny bit. Like, he doesn't look quite as pale as he used to. Mm. It's like, hmm, what's going on between Victor and this hex core, I wonder? And and time is like, destroy the hex core. Like, it's doing something weird to Victor. I don't like it. Destroy it. And Jace is like, no, I will not destroy the one thing that could save my best friend. And Victor Hummus is like, oh, heck yeah, you are. This violates the ethos. This violates everything Piltover stands for. We're destroying this mother effing thing. And Jace is like, that's for the council to decide. And Hummus is like, fine then. And he walks up. And his poor also walks up in a scoffing manner. And it's very cute. The poor is fucking adorable. And, but then, and Victor's just like, I don't know what to do. And just like, do whatever you need to do. And Victor's like, I met, I might know someone who could help. It's like, go to them. Like, do whatever you have to. Like, just blank check, do whatever you have to do to save your life. Mm. Jace is the one insisting on Victor doing anything it takes to save his own life. That's the cool thing about this every time. Is it's never Victor saying, I need to save myself. It's never a selfish thing for him. Although it's partially it is. Like, you can tell he wants to live. Right. But Jace is the one that constantly insists this could save your life. This could save your life. This could save your life. Hmm. I wonder what's going on there. Hmm. And so, after all of that's going down, we cut back to uh, poor, um, poor Jinx, uh, uh, kind of being like, um, what's going on? Why? Why is a? Uh, why are all the goons going out searching for two girls? Mm-hmm. And so she goes to a bar where a man, she calls Frank. That's not his name, but that's who he calls. What she calls him. It's a very funny scene. Mm-hmm. No, Chuck, not Frank. Chuck. It is Chuck. Yeah, it is Chuck, and it's very funny. It's one of the funniest scenes in the entire show. It is it's, very. Good. It's so good. It's like, so what's going on, Chuck? And he's like, I don't know, like, they're going after two girls or something. I don't know. It's like, it's like, hmm, yeah, what, well, Chuck? It's like, Savika's in charge of it, I guess. It's like, thanks, Chuck. Plants a smoke bomb on his back, but it looks like a regular grenade. Chuck freaks out, and it blows up. It's very funny. 
Also, I want to say something very cute in that scene. Um, he, Chuck, uh, I don't remember his real name, uh, gives her uh, a little... We know his name. His name is Chuck. Yeah, his name is Chuck. <laughs> uh, she He gives her a drink um, and like a special little cup with a spindy straw in it. And it is the same cup we see Vander give her back in Act 1 when she's upset. <laughs> but and, but last time Vander gave her the straw, this time she gives she puts the, her own straw into it. Okay, I don't remember that. Yeah, that yeah. did happen, yeah. But yeah, it is the exact same cup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my heart. <laughs> also, the fact she she pushes the chubstone into the drink is very funny. That is very funny. Like, this is a magical artifact. You're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Does it slurp? Does it slurp? <laughs> Um, and as all that is going down, we cut back to Caitlin and Vi. Caitlin has now given the shimmer medicine to Vi, and Vi is healed. Like, she strips, like, um, the stab wound's gone. That's kind of cool. She has a flash of purple in her eyes, but she's fine. Only a tiny bit of shimmer. Turns out, a little bit of shimmer keeps the, the death away. Yeah, apparently. Something like that. Um, but it does show that shimmer is not inherently evil necessarily it's it can be very corruptive and addictive but if used in very tiny amounts it can be helpful so it's it's like a hint at that there Mm. are there can be some benefit to shimmer it's just not at all used like that at all because it's much more cool to have giant uh drug monsters well as they're figuring all that out they escape and uh surprise silko's there Looking like mother effing Jesus with vials of toxic shimmer. With hu- the huddled masses of addicts around him. It is a very good visual. It really is. And he's just like, hi there. We see the little nerdy guy who's like, scuffles off. So we're like, oh, he gave him up for shimmer. But he, at least he leaves, so he doesn't like attack them or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just, but it's still very sad. Um, and now, And now he's just like, so, why don't you freaking do, like, why don't, just give up, or basically, or how about you just strip die for me? Why don't you do that? Because I cannot have you messing with Jinx's head. Meanwhile, Jinx has, um, interrogated Savika in a very cool sequence. It was actually hilarious. She didn't really do anything but tie Savika to a chair after knocking her out, and Savika was just like, Okay, I don't care. You mean jack shit to me. I'll tell you what's going on. <laughs> Specifically, Savika hopes that telling her will cause uh, Jinx have a breakdown. Yeah. But Jinx, uh, in a very uh, telling moment, uh, looks like she's about to, and then pretends sneezes, pushes Savika back, is like, haha, uh, joke's on you. Uh, I'm not as crazy as you think I am. Mm-hmm. And then she rocks, runs off to um, get something important. Yeah. And uh, after leaving, uh, after saying, uh, I've got a message to send Silco first. I'm going to need you for a bit, Savika. Spin Savika around and starts laughing in a very cool sequence. So good. Um, As Silco's doing his whole villain speech thing, very cool. Uh, Even says a really good line where he says, like, I thought you were the cool one, bye. Then I met your sister. Turns out she is everything. And it's like, ooh. Cut the Jinx clunt up at the top of a, the tallest building in all of the Undercity, potentially. Mm. It's like, hmm. And before we get to the next sequence, we're going to cut quickly back to Chase. Because um, we're going to a council meeting where Heimerdinger makes a very powerful speech about how they've all lost their way. They've let, uh, like, they've let power and money 
and all that corrupt everything they were. Only for Jace to then be like, um, so, um, yeah, cool, all that you just said, Heimerdinger, but, um, yeah, you're not so hot yourself. I was like, excuse me? It's like, well, let's see, let's see. Shimmer is running the streets of the Undercity, is everywhere down there. Crime is at an all-time high. There's gangsters and, and chem lords ruling down there. Like, what, what are you doing about that? And I'm just like, this isn't about me. This is about uh, your dirty laundry. And I was like, yeah, too bad your dirty laundry is as a more impressive right now because I'm the one with the friends. Mm-hmm. And, and um, a, oh, and a, go ahead. Okay, yeah, uh, sorry. This goes back to what I was saying earlier in, in this section where... Uh, Jace basically calls out Heimerdinger as being out of touch with the rest of the city. Uh, like, and we find out, I don't know if the, we already knew this, but that um, Heimerdinger was one of the uh, Piltover's founders. It's been hinted at that he it's was. It's been hinted at. Well, it was flat out confirmed. Yeah. Um, and like, so he's been helping run this city for like hundreds of years at this point. But as Jace points out, under Heimerdinger's quote unquote leadership, the Undercity has gone to hell. Yeah. Um, again, it goes back to... And now like, Piltor is being attacked. Yeah, like, all Heimerdinger has cared about is it, uh, safe inventions. He's not worried about infrastructure. He hasn't been worried about helping the people who are literally dying. Uh, he's just like, oh, let's just make cool things in our own time, and you humans will deal with the with it later yeah it's, it's never it's never shown to be malicious it's very much shown that he's just benignly naive yeah like heimerdinger really is naive um despite how old he is yeah like he's focused on his stuff and that's it he thinks the rest of the world should just run the way he does and unfortunately it does not and in a very very good scene that makes no one can have a dry eye at the end of the scene you see, Jace basically says, like, you have done immeasurable good for this city, but it is time to let you rest. Mm-hmm. And forces Heimerdinger to retire through a unanimous vote by all the council members, yeah. who all look hesitant to do so until they all start remembering Jace has made deals with them, and if they want those deals to stand, they must do what Jace says. Followed by Mel's following through first. Right. Um, and I'm glad you said that, because I was going to bring up that, like, this is... They say that this has to be a unanimous vote by the entire council. And because of all these deals Jace has been making, it happens. And I almost cried. Like, legitimately. Because you see Heimer's eyes get all big and watery. He is so... He's been, he's betrayed. And it hurts. It really so much. Does. And after all of this, Heimerdinger gets kicked out of the council. It's And that's the end of it. And he looks so betrayed and hurt. And it is everything. It's such a good scene. I will say that I think this was the bad move for Piltover. But a good one for Heimerdinger. I think he needed this. He probably did need to get out of the council. That was not good for him. Yeah, but it still hurt to see. And now we cut to the best scene in the entire second act. I will stand by this to the till to, to the end of everything. If it's the one I'm thinking of, I completely agree. We cut to 
a basically back and forth of Silco like encroaching on Vi and Caitlyn about to kill them or trying to only for Vi to freaking rock that rickety old thing that Chekhov's gun we got earlier and cause him to crash down allowing Kate uh, and Vi to escape actually Caitlyn started trying to knock it down first yeah she did and then because she knew that it would work and then Vi was like, oh, you need something heavy done. Got it. And, <laughs> and just punched it. After she says a great a great back talk line to, to Silka after monologuing as a great villain always does. Mm. And says, like, you talk too much. And then punches it and causes it to collapse down, allowing them to escape. And as they escape, we get some fantastic music to Jinx lifting up the same smoke flare given to her by Vi in Act 1. Where she said to Jinx, if you like this, no matter where you are, I will find you. Y'all, when I tell you I about cried when she pulled that thing out. It's it's the truth. It I was nearly in tears myself. And it is a beautiful, beautiful music, beautiful cinematography, cutting back down to Silco, freaking have a freak out as he's like, no, everything's gone wrong. Ah, ah, ah. And the thing that hurts really bad um like it that made me so emotional as soon as vi sees that smoke she knows it's her sister and like just hearing her go powder that fucking broke me uh well that didn't happen quite yet not yet but you know what i mean yes there's no dialogue in this there's only music as we cut back and forth between between vi like bumping into someone flipping them off uh then seeing the flare and be like oh no caitlin grabs her and drags her and then we see the sequence that broke me, which is we cut up to Jinx in this beautiful spinning camera where we circle around her. And as we circle around her, as a note is reached that sounds like a scream, we see Milo and Clagger's ghosts back to back with Jinx in anguish, mm-hmm. especially Milo. Milo's oh. in such anguish. Clagger looks a little less in anguish, but you... but. It makes sense. Like, it's... You just see all this pain. And... Watch this scene. <laughs> it's so good. It is the perfect encapsulation of Jinx's trauma and desire and need for healing and just not being able to get it. But maybe she can with Vi. But where is Vi? As a smoke flare sputters out, she tosses the empty thing down. In a bit of anger, actually. In a bit of anger, yeah. She's like, it didn't, of course it didn't work. My sister's gone forever. And then, Powder, you hear Vi say, Powder, your heart soars. They they almost embrace. Powder's like, not sure if Vi's even real because of all her hallucinations from her her very obvious traumatic, trauma-induced, like, schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. almost. Like, it's... Oh, it's so good. And then, finally, Vice is like, it's me, I'm real. And they embrace, and I'm crying, it is yeah. so good. Um, and Vi calls her Pow Pow, I almost die. Fun fact, that's probably the name for her, why yeah. she named her Gatling Gun Pow Pow. We'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah, and eventually we get to, it looks like all might be well. And then Caitlyn walks up, and immediately Jinx is on defensive. 
because she didn't believe Savika when Savika said that Vi was walking around with an enforcer. But now there's an enforcer there. She's like, what's this? And Vi's like, it's just Caitlyn. She's maybe my girlfriend. We're still figuring it out. Right. And it's like, but I'm here for you, Power. No more, no other reason. And Jinx is like, but what about this gemstone? And she's like, I don't know anything about the gemstone. Caitlyn's like, oh, I know something about that gemstone. It's like, what do you mean? And it's like, as tension is rising, but maybe if I can bring it back down, there's a potential there. But then we hear the sound of encroaching hoverboards and the firelights show up and attack because they are here for that gemstone too. And meanwhile, Jinx is starting to have a mental breakdown because she thinks her sister lied to her again. And it just becomes absolute pandemonium. Vi is fighting off the firelights alongside Jinx. Caitlyn's trying to grab the gemstone. There's chaos and anarchy everywhere. Vi and Jinx are basically back to back. It's, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so good. And then we get a, a, a single moment where Vi, where first Caitlyn gets knocked out. Gemstone gets captured. Caitlyn gets captured. It's like, uh-oh, that's not good. And then we see Vi, like, punching out someone, like, really doing the number. Vi showing that she is still a proficient fist fighter. And, mm-hmm. and I and do not mess with her in close combat. Or, oh, boy. But then she sees Jinx laughing maniacally as she's firing away haphazardly with her Gatling gun. And it destroys her. Like, She's like, who is this person in my sister's body? Yeah, you just see this look of fear on her face. Like, she does not recognize this person. And my heart broke at that point. I was done. And then, she, as she turns her back on the person she's fighting, she gets knocked out, nearly stabbed, only for the lady in fire to be like, no, don't kill her, capture her instead. Right, and as that's happening, Jinx gets her leg cut. She turns around so she doesn't see Vi get knocked down and captured. And she looks, she's about to kill this other firelight. And then... And then the moment that seals this act so well is as uh, Jinx turns around and sees that Vi has been captured and is, a, and is about to be taken, she charges forward, smoke bomb deployed, the firelight escape... And it is like no one was ever there. Oh. And then Jinx looks around, calls out for Vi as 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 powder again. Like she's a little girl again, mm. wondering where her sister is. And then she screams no and cut to black. Oh, y'all. This show is so fucking amazing. It is so good. Uh... Unfortunately, this episode has gone for a little for a little longer than expected, so we're all going to cut it uh, cut off soon. But before we do, some final thoughts on these first two acts. They broke me, like emotionally. Like, part, I'll just come out and say part of the reason we didn't really have a chance to record before now was because after both acts, I had to take some time to not have a mental breakdown of my own. Because, holy shit, this was a lot. But, y'all, watch this show if you haven't already. Introduce it to your friends, your co-workers, your grandparents. Hell, send a letter to some stranger out in Arizona telling them to watch it. Go for it. Everyone must watch this show. I will campaign about it. This, this show is phenomenal. I will give even more high praises when we get to the final act and do a full and do like a full little breakdown 
uh, at the very end, last little recap. But yes, this show just in the first two acts seals its seals its. I mean, seals anything. It's it plants its mark as the best animated show. Not even the best animated show. This is the best show of the year. If I could petition for a television series or internet series to go into the Louvre, it would be this one. This is phenomenal. It is art. It is beautiful. It is telling a gripping, tragic story that I don't think I've ever seen executed better in any other medium. It is it is downright near perfect. Like, like there may be some minor things every now and then, but you you can't even notice them because everything is so well executed, so well done. And now, at the end of Act 2, favorite character. Oh, God. Um, so I know I said, like, Powder and Grayson for Act 1. Still Jinx, definitely, but again, that feels like a cop-out. Um, so I think I'm going to say Savika. Savika was a very good kid. We didn't get a lot from her. Yeah, but I think she really shines in part three mm-hmm. more. But um, In act no, two, she, she does pretty well. She does. Um, maybe Caitlyn. Caitlyn did, we got a really good insight into Caitlyn's character in this part. Uh, I don't know, honestly, just... This in this entire cast is amazing. I would say my favorite character for Act Two goes slam dunking down there, getting blood in all the wrong places. Is going to be my boy Victor. I loved him. Every scene with him made me feel for him so much. I really was rooting for him every step of the way. Victor is quickly rising as one of my favorite characters in Arcane. And you'll see, you'll get more of my thoughts on Victor when we get to the final act. He just gets better from here. He is the perfect encapsulation of the genius who only wants to save lives and the steps he will take to do so. As I almost forgot to say, the last thing we see Victor go is to meet a certain character. A certain character we know made Shimmer for for Silco. Good old Singed is the man he went to meet. And we also know that he met him when he was a child. And in a very great line, but last time he met him, Singed, like, I thought you understood after seeing some really grody stuff involving a, a giant creature named Rio get all effed up with some weird gizmos and he stuff. He was like in a giant axolotl? Axolotl? I don't know how to say Axolotl, that. yes. Um, and then... Uh, then as Victor shows back up in a Singe's little office, in his new little secret lab, he says to him, Now I understand. After Singe said last time, I thought you understood when I said the mutation must be preserved. Victor now says, Now I understand. And we'll get more into what's going on with Victor next act. It is so much, and Victor is very much one of my favorite characters in the show. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to talk about him more next time. But after all of that, I just want to say, like, like I said, this show is phenomenal. The arts, as we said, the scenes that you should watch for sure, like, obviously just watch the show as a whole. But if you just want to see certain scenes, watch the, watch the, uh, the Mel Jace scene. It's so beautiful. Watch the scene where Jace is freaking making all the backroom deals. 
watch the scene, watch the freaking first scene of Act 2 in general. It's so phenomenal. The firelight scene is freaking amazing. And especially if you do not watch a scene, you are, you are, you are ruining yourself if you don't watch a scene. Watch the scene where Jinx lights the flare. Oh my god, do yourself a favor and just watch that. Like, the music, forget all the others, just watch that one. The music alone is worth it. It is so good. It's freaking Wood Kid. It is mm, so phenomenal. Mm. It is such a great scene. And if no other scene encapsulates the 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 core of jinx's story in the show it is that scene it is perfect in every way there's only one other scene that is better for jinx i will not spoil what it is yet yeah. we'll get to that in act three but for act two this scene is perfect and it is the perfect end note for this section of jinx's story mm. until we go to the next one and I have a lot to say about the next part, so get ready for that. It, there, my uneducated thoughts. <laughs> and my semi-educated thoughts, I hope. But after all of that, I will say one last time, watch the show. We will talk about Act 3 next time. Uh, until then, just, I'm just going to say, if you have any questions, like if you just have any questions or thoughts about Arcane's Act 1 and 2, specifically, not Act 3, we'll cover Act 3 later. There's going to be a separate episode for that. Yes. Please send them in your reviews on your podcast of choice or to the loreofruinterra at gmail.com email. You can also now send them through the Discord channel, League of Lore on the Robots Radio Network Discord. And they'll be answered next episode. So, until then, I can't wait to talk about Act 3. Um, and any, like, any last statements? If you don't watch this show, there's something wrong with you, and I'm not qualified to say what, but it's there. There you have it. Watch Arcane. And I'll see you all next time. Peace.